This is the Future of Cyber Risk podcast, brought to you by Team Cymru. I'm your host, David Monier, fellow at Team Cymru. Let's jump right into today's episode. Hey, everybody, and thanks for listening to another episode of the Future of Cyber Risk podcast. Today, I'm speaking with the engineering manager at Netflix, Charles Mwatu. Thanks for chatting with me today, Charles. Thank you. So before we get started, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Would love to, as you mentioned. My name is Charles Nwatu, and I've been in security for good, you know, 15, 20 plus years now. Started my career actually out of the Department of Defense, and that came through a scholarship program while I was, I was attending the Penn State University. Uh, received a scholarship to practice what at the time they called it information assurance, which is a combination of many aspects of engineering, information security, and quality assurance and quality control. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Had a chance to participate as a detection engineer and incident response leader for the Department of Defense. Had a, a lot of interesting projects and programs around like host space security and point security and network security was probably like my specialization area. From there, decided to transition into like the high tech space, starting out at LinkedIn, um, still working in the incident response detection engineering space, but had a chance to work with some amazing people there to help build out an incident response capability and scale that capability. Part of the allure of coming out to the Bay Area during that time was because, you know, seen as the hit is where all the emerging and new tech is coming out. So one of the transitions I decided to do was this whole thing about cloud and doing detection and instant response in the cloud. So having a chance to go work at a company that was pretty much API focused in Twilio and having everything in the AWS infrastructure. And then how do you do incident response when you truly don't own the you know, physical sense of the assets, but you're responsible for all the technical and data flows of those particular systems and services. So getting an opportunity to understand how to do that within cloud environment and at scale. And then from there, decided I wanted to go run my own security program and lead out a security organization for a company and, and had the opportunity to do that at a company called Stitch Fix, focusing on, you know, building your traditional security program with your AppSec, product security, incident response, corporate engineering, and, and the like. So I had the opportunity to help build the foundational layers of that program as it continues to grow and rise. And then lastly, where I'm at now at Netflix, I was given the opportunity to come in and work on building out and working on their corporate security program. But a year into my role, I um, was given the opportunity to reshape GRC. And it was not the highest thing on my priority list in terms of doing a GRC, which is our governance, risk, and compliance. But I thought about it and said, you know, my experiences at Stitch Fix and being able to engage our board members our executive staff and finding the language that connects the security of business and the risk together would be you know, fruitful for me to continue to mature and maximize that experience. So I would say like my time here in the last three and a half years at Netflix has been all around, how do you take the idea of risk and turn it into something that is actionable for the business? And if you think about risk as a matter of like understanding uncertainty, and then what are ways that you can reduce your uncertainty about an investment is probably the lens I've taken when it comes to like the GRC mantra. 
I've listened to some of the podcasts and, and, you know, there's a saying around here, seem like it's very static. It's a checklist approach and I am anti-checklist. I understand that they exist. doesn't mean I have to always use them. So I think the approach that we're trying to use here at Netflix, I think is exciting in a sense of what's potentially to come in the industry at large. Okay. So that's a very wide background. But it's always interesting to me how the compliance component has to factor into that. And like you said, we are, I'm also not a big fan of the checklists, but we are definitely an industry in love with them right now, frameworks and checklists. So, but whatever it takes, I guess. So 20 years, 20 plus years, that's a really long time. You know, you mentioned cloud. I think that's a a big obvious disruptor. But aside from that, or maybe in addition to that, how have you seen kind of the cyber risk landscape change over that time? And how do you feel that, you know, the landscape impact that change? How has it affected how it is that you approach things? I think at the beginning of it all, like risk really ties back to like, what does the business do? Like what's important to the business and how, what is your role in helping the business either enable that or improve that? And in terms of the evolution of the cyber risk landscape in in particular, I think one of the growth areas that I've continued to see is how we talk about risk. You know, the whole chicken little story, you know, hey, you know, zero days, sky is falling down. Well, is that really the case? Do we have an understanding of our environment and ecosystem in a way that we can say, does this new vulnerability apply to us? If so, what is the true risk exposure? and potential risk impacts of said vulnerability or attack technique that's being used against us. My experience in the past would have been like, okay, if something comes up, it's, it's, there's still like this all persons on deck response, essentially, where, you know, stop everything what you're doing. But I think as we have evolved, there are companies and practices that are trying to say, well, do we have to address this now because we have confidence in our controls and our capabilities and have insights and assessments and therefore evidence around that, therefore increasing our confidence. Now, I'm not saying that this is a broad strategy that many companies are doing, but I think there are companies that are striving to get to this point. And I think that's to me is like the biggest like evolution in the risk landscape is more around the people, the process, the technology of how we talk about risk and then how we're using security as a tool to address risk versus the security itself being the risk, if that makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. I see a lot of that as well. I think it's very refreshing, actually, to hear you describe that evolution because I was victim to this as well, especially when I was a young, early practitioner. I really committed my mind, unfortunately, to this idea that security was the end. That was the goal. But in reality, business is the goal. Your objective is to, you know, like you don't have anything to secure if you're not in business. So if you secure your way out of business, guess what? You messed up. And risk avoidance as your mantra, that's not true. Risk acceptance sometimes is the thing. And and really business maximization requires that you consider some risks are acceptable. In fact, what's that saying? Nothing worthwhile comes easy or something like that. What acceptance is like, you got to take risks if you want to really, you know, get things. Unfortunately, in security, that's like not a typical thought. And it really goes against kind of, you know, people's natural instincts. So it's refreshing to hear you right out of the gate. You say, well, this is what, you know, what's changing. Yeah. I think from like a personal experience that sort of changed me was around the idea of like risk taking to your point and the security mantra that, you know, can be seen as gatekeepers. And by no means as a security practitioner, do I want to be seen as a gatekeeper. But what I do want to be seen as, as a person that helps you make decisions better how do I help reduce your uncertainty about a thing happening or not? 
And if I can provide those data points from a governance risk compliance perspective, it's very different than doing it from like the app pen testing model or from the detection and incident response when things have already happened. But if I can tell you, provide some guidance, like almost like road signs, like, you know, you can take this corner at 45 miles an hour and be okay. Like, I want to make sure that you have enough information around the terrain in front of you that you can navigate it appropriately, consistently, and at times test the limits so that, to your point, we can enable the business to move as fast as it needs to within the appropriate mitigating controls. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic analog. So a lot of time in the industry, obviously, you have a lot of experience and seen a lot of change over time. Right now, what security tools and technologies are you paying attention to? And and which ones are you excited about to, to see, you know, either get further adopted or get their maturity or things like that? What stuff are you tracking? I think for me, the thing that I'm tracking right now, I don't know the actual terminology or if there's a Gartner product or quadrant for this yet, but... The idea of what we call them internal, like capability assessments, how do you understand the effectiveness of your security controls and how do you have that evidence so that it inspires confidence in your investments to date? What really drew me into this area was the whole work around like quality control and quality assurance. Like quality control and quality assurance is a very mature field in terms of how do you measure errors, defects, and when things are of appropriate quality or not. Like some of those same principles to me overlay very nicely in the security world, whether you're talking about product delivery, secure development life cycles, or application security in itself, or endpoint security. There's a lot of elements, I think, of the quality control and quality assurance principles that overlay nicely. So a lot of the products that are doing like testing and instrumentation, not necessarily like breach attack simulation work. That's not necessarily the, the focus area, but really around enumerating your controls in relation to your risk. Like how effective are those controls and then the evidence of that being seen and being able to track and report on that to the business and your leadership. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is interesting. You know, as you were describing this QA model, it makes me think of like shipbuilders, right? So when, when people build a boat, the first thing that they do is fill it with water. They don't put it in water because you can't see where the holes are from the inside and you only have so much time before it fills up and sinks, right? So if you want the assurance that you have a seaworthy vessel, you have to prop it up off the ground and you fill the ship itself with water and you look for where is it leaking. In particular with, you know, wooden and, and metal ships, this is a typical something you do with like fiberglass boats, but but people who build those boats, I thought always thought that was very fascinating and it's absolutely logical. And if I understand correctly, what you're saying is like that, kind of approach to that. And I think I would agree with you that probably isn't a quadrant for that yet. But yeah, I could see an obvious value in particular from your IR teams, because they would know that it works because, you know, security being kind of that thankless job where no one knows you're doing a good job because no one broke in. And then they, everybody knows when you fail, you know, but this would give folks the chance if we did have some kind of like standardized QA model for to test these policies and procedures. Because today, I have found that most controls are tested only as paper dragons, right? We sit down and we work through this spoken exercise and, you know, maybe your auditor is creative and has interesting questions that you haven't thought of before. You know, newsflash, they mostly aren't. It's, you know, stuff that you can answer pretty easily. Offense to the folks out there doing certifications, but that's not quite the same thing as filling your boat up with water, you know? Yeah. 
I definitely agree. And like we sort of think about like various states and conditions, like the state of being compliant versus the condition that keeps us compliant, you know, very different in terms of how we approach them. And then to your point about, you know, when it comes to seeing the success of the work, you know, security being that thankless job, especially on the incident response side, you know, when the incidents happen, you know, people may see it as a failure, but also it gives us a chance to talk about like where the deficiencies are. Like when the good things happen and are being protected or detected or responded to by these teams, I don't believe we do a great job at sometimes of sharing that narrative. It's easy to see when things go bad in the instance because that's when the fire alarms get pulled. But there's a lot of work that goes into these teams to sort of capture what's happening and what's not happening. And being able to share that story as part of like a larger assurance metrics organization or byproduct. Absolutely. So what's the number one piece of advice that you'd share with others who are leading security teams, in particular at kind of fast growing places like the couple that you've been at? I would say the, the number one thing might be to understand how does security enable the business? And you can do that by ensuring that you have the appropriate partners and talking with your partners and really understanding like, okay, what drives their particular verticals and how does security fit into that conversation? What has the experience been with security in the past? I found that some folks just don't understand enough about security and what type of relationship they should have with security. So really understanding like the landscape of where the business operates and then understanding the risk around how that business operates within that landscape to me is very, I think, probably big as a company is growing because you may bump into these things. And the whole goal, I think, of of risk management is essentially Let's minimize how much damage bumping into things causes us. It doesn't negate the fact that we will bump into things, but let's let's bump into them in a way that it doesn't basically stop us at a standstill. Yeah, I think business leaders, and correct me if this has been changing, because I'd like to believe that it will eventually, but it seems like business leaders often, in particular in GRC space, they tend to see those requirements as like an adversarial exchange. Like the people who are coming and saying, you know, you have to run your business a certain way, let's say HIPAA, you know, or SOX or PCI or, you know, any of these various sets of regulatory funds. The other non, in particular outside the technical role, I notice a lot of decision makers, board level C-suite folks, they tend to either, like you said, they either get it or those ones that don't, that they just don't understand security and how it rolls into their piece, they often end up seeing it as something they need to like avoid the most. You know, it's like this problem that they have. It's like going to the doctor for your annual physical. You know, you get all nervous about it and like they just don't want to do it. And as time has gone on, I've noticed that like the technology folks tend to or have come around to the idea. Uh, but the other folks, it tends to still be a challenge. Would you say that that's still true? In my experience, I would still believe that's a little, there's some truth into that. I look at security as a tool in the toolbox, really, for the business. And some businesses may not understand the shape and how to use the tool. And part of a security practitioner is to help you know, deliver the frequently asked questions or the guides or the scenarios for which you would use this particular tool and why it's relevant in that manner. And I think as you start making those connections and you start working with the various leaders, the goal over time or instantaneous, however it may work, is to just shift the perspective. Something that, you know, I always sort of talk about is like, you know, if you could just provide a different perspective, that means you provide a different lens to which to look at things. 
And if I look at security as just being another tool in the toolbox of the business, that means you need to understand like when to use it, how to use it, and why it's there. So I think that's part of that changeover that I think you're seeing or have been seeing in our industry. So what skills do you think are most critical for security practitioners to get through the changes, the pace, the future, if you will? What skills do you think are useful for them? What's useful, I think, in this day and age, I still think it's a, a nice hybrid blend of the technical programming requirements and also the, the I would say, the, a combination of the soft skills and quantitative like risk work. I think the beauty that I've seen within the last two years in, in the role that I'm in is the adoption and desire to have more quantitative measurement around the work that security practitioners are doing, whether it's from our, our app risk or pen testers understanding the value of the work that they're doing in relation to the risk has been almost eye-opening to me. So I, I still think it's this weird hybrid of like, you know, like, you know, you could do some development aspects, but as you're thinking of development, like what would be the risk conditions as to how your program functions? And can you write it in a way that you can show the evidence to someone who's not in your field to say whether or not this thing is working appropriately. And then that cascades back to me into the whole quality control and quality assurance aspect, because that would be the evidence that anyone could take and say, hey, like my function, my application, my service, my dependencies are working appropriately or not because I see the outputs of my said program or service in this way, which allows for anyone to potentially engage with that service to understand like what should it be doing? Is it doing what it said is doing? And this is the evidence that disproves it or not. Yeah, that's, it's a question I ask a lot of folks. And how many people come back to that soft skill? It's like we, a renaissance, if you will. So let's use that word. We're having some kind of, you know, growth renaissance in our industry. Because for the longest time, it was, you know, technical skill was what everybody was thought they were in desire of. And you kind of end up with the term that we use at Team Cymru is technical tyrants, right? These people who are technically correct, but everyone hates them. And, uh, you know, meaning none of those soft skills that you're describing. But I have noticed the trend having guests on, on our show here. When I ask that question, more and more people are leading with this. Of course, technical is important, but these soft skills turn out to be the most critical. So that's that's interesting pattern that's going. I hope that continues to be the case because in my experience, and like I said, I fell victim to kind of that mentality of everything must be secure or why why bother, right? I think in security, folks have often gotten this image of, even if you had a breach, don't call the security team because those guys, you know, no one likes you kind of thing, you know, because they just don't have the personality and, and things like that. So it's refreshing to see that that might be changing. So zoom out five years from now. What's the future of cyber risk management look like? Where do you think we're headed there? I mean, I know personally, I would love to see some form of cyber security actuarials around loss. And as a community, our ability to share that data to help inform other businesses around the investments they've made. There was a point that we talked about earlier, like, you know, there's a lot of investment that's happening in cyber and information security as a whole. We do things out of the gut reaction of why well, I did endpoint before. That means I must do endpoint everywhere I go. I did network before. But how do we truly understand the impact of what those security investments and controls are actually doing for the business. I would love for us to find platform services and tooling that helps expose that for the wider ecosystem. So zooming out five years, I would love to see there are companies that are really embracing the idea of being able to quantify their risk and map it to their investments and really show the impact of the work in terms of reducing risk or holding risk and having the actual data to support that. And sharing that data as part of a larger construct would be 
InfoSec cybersecurity community. So that's where I would love to, you know, five years from now, if we're sitting here and there's a new Gardner Magic Quadrant and we're able to like, oh yeah, there's leaders in this space that is doing this type of work and sharing this data sets. I would love to see that. So you mentioned actuaries. How so ransomware being so massive and prevalent of a problem required a number of folks to cash in on their cyber insurance. There have been a few different folks who've had to leverage those policies and you know in actual situations. And when I first heard about cybersecurity insurance, breach insurance, whatever you want to call it, I thought at the time that's crazy because we're talking about largely technologies that are primarily magic to the people who look at it, except for the people who administer them and build them. And they can, that's typically point something percent of the world, right? I mean, everybody else, like if we, I say often, I use the example when you go down the street and ask people how does email work, they would use the words like click and open and stuff that they wouldn't use transfer or protocols or, you know, none of that would even be in the words described. So when we get to the point, right, where suddenly insurers were offering these programs, they had to have some, I mean, insurance, right? This name of the game is, is betting on your, betting on the problem not happening, right? Or betting that you have more money than problem, right? That's the business model. And those people are not fools. So I was really surprised to see that so many offerings were coming to the marketplace for cyber insurance. But then I started to wonder, like in the actuary regards, what are they using to do those calculations? Are they, I was like, into an actuary right now is like ransomware the only threat they think of? Or is it like, is it ransomware and DDoS? And like, you know, is that the two things that the average person knows? Not that I'm saying an actuary person is an average person, by the way, because they did. Uh, you know, but like, what are they, you know, what are those factors that they're thinking of? Have you encountered very many of those folks, like the insurance folks? Have not. I mean, I've talked to folks in like the modeling parts of it that rely on some of that actual actuarial work, but never have met one or had a conversation with one. So I, whoever may be listening to this and would love to get a hold of me, I, I'm definitely open to having those conversations because to your point, like are insurance products being created around this. So there has to be some level of understanding. Now, the question of the game is to your point, like, are the payouts actually happening or, and are the terms of the insurance changing to match the rate of how the security ecosystem is responding to it? That to me is an interesting, I think, narrative to understand the next five, 10, 15 years in this cyber insurance space and what really happens there. Well, absolutely. If anybody does uh, reach out to you, please let me know. I'd, I'd like to listen to that conversation. <laughs> it's very interesting to me because like I said, I know firsthand from 20 plus years in the industry myself, that when you start talking to most people, like it's very easy to get in the language that they're just not following along. They don't understand what you're talking about. So then to be, you know, an insurance company who's like, we're going to bet against these problems. How do you do that if you don't understand it? So it's very interesting to me. So to succeed at defending, you know, against cyber risk in the future, what are three pieces of actionable advice that you would give security leaders listening in? So being, having played a role before, I understand these are challenging and hard, but I think they're great principles to strive towards. I think number one would be know your state, like know what's around you, know what's your current asset inventory state, infrastructure state, just getting a better understanding of what's around you, what you have to protect and what you have to understand. I would say two is that would be simply demand assurance, you know, ensure that you have the evidence necessary to have confidence in the tools and investments that are happening around you. 
and being able to build that into your engineering partners and products, your business partners, your marketing partners, your finance partners, like demand assurance. And then lastly, I would say celebrate the win and the win. You know, we talked earlier before about when incidents happen, people know like, okay, something's bad has happened. But also the win is in the fact that we can respond to them. There's some organizations when incidents happen, there's no incident management plan or incident response capability that creates a consistent and repeatable flow. And then also the wins that are not security events or incidents. Sometimes technology and security seems like those unacknowledged and those bump in the dark and no one really calls out, hey, that's a win there. So I like to celebrate the win and the win. Like anytime that we can do good in terms of protecting the services of a platform or the business, to me, that's a win for security. So I'm always about celebrating the work that some of our security practitioners do that, th that sometimes don't get the accolades. And that goes for our GRC folks as, as well as our AppSec pen testers. We're all part of the security umbrella and there's space for all of us. Sure. Yeah, I guess that's kind of like the motion camera doorbell. You know, it lets you know when your front door lock worked, you know, because you saw the person come up and wiggle their handle and they didn't get in your house, but you had proof of it. So, you, can, you know, that email was like a little celebration for your physical security control there. So something akin to that, I, I could see that being useful because we, we all, you know, all of us have our, well, those of us who have those kind of technologies in our lives, we all get that immediate email alert or, you know, pop up. It would be great for everybody in the company to know, hey, security team just protected us from this, you know, from this problem, some kind of win. Anyway, so Charles, that's all the time we have today. Thank you very much uh, for answering the questions that we have. That's very enlightening. Like I, I've told other folks who've been on the show before, really our goal here is just to help folks who are out listening that may be in these same kind of situations and they're making decisions right now and they may not have the uh, assurance or the certainty of in themselves because it's maybe a new thing for them or whatnot. And it really is, is refreshing and good for folks to hear from folks like yourself who have kind of done it and, and are moving towards you know solutions and building experience along the way. So folks out there can hear, you know, the lessons that you've learned and things like that. Before we go, what's a way that our listeners out there, if they wanted to follow you, are you on Twitter, LinkedIn, you know, that type of stuff? What's the way that people can track what you're up to? Yeah, thanks, David. I think the primary way they get a hold of me is through Twitter, and that's at Charles underscore N-W-A-T-U. And then second would be my LinkedIn profile at C-N-W-A-T-U. So those are probably the two best platforms to get a hold of me. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Charles. And uh, to all of our listeners, we hope you enjoyed the show and we look forward to you guys tuning in to the next one. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Future of Cyber Risk podcast brought to you by Team Cymru. For the latest episodes, please visit team-cymru.com or search Future of Cyber Risk on your podcast platform of choice. Thanks, and we'll catch you on the next episode.